This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Well, that was the scene in Manchester today. Thousands turning out, thousands from all kinds of different backgrounds and faiths turning out for this vigil to honor the victims of last night's terror attack. Uh, and uh, the chant, uh, chant of Manchester broke out. Uh, so the city reeling, obviously, in the aftermath of what happened, as is the UK, as are a lot of us. I mean, it's uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to comprehend the kind of mindset and ideology that would command its followers to massacre innocent civilians, to take the lives of these young girls, right? Like eight-year-old Safi Russo's attending a concert last night. A concert that was obviously um, overwhelmingly young and female. This was Ariana Grande, very popular top 40 artist. And that's the demographic that this music appeals to. Those are the people who were at this concert. Those are the people who were targeted. So we're all struggling to make sense of all of this. Now, the UK has been through a lot lately, obviously. You don't want to get complacent about this. You don't want to accept this as a reality. But at the same time as well, you want to show resolve and show that you're, you're not going to be swayed by this. So it's quite a challenge. Joining us for some thoughts, please to welcome to the program, our friend Andrew Apostolou, uh, analyst uh, and commentator. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you for having me, Rob, and thank you also for just uh, playing that sound from Manchester. I thought it was very impressive. Well, it was, and it was quite a scene today uh, to see the pictures of, of all these thousands of people uh, turn up, stand as one, uh, to not only remember the victims, as mentioned, but obviously to, to send a message. What did you make of it? Well, I think it's very important also because, remember, we're going through a general election campaign in the UK and campaigning has actually been suspended by the agreement of all the political parties. So this was seen not just as an obviously an attack on innocence, an attack on young girls, a sick, sick mentality, but it's also an attack on Britain as a country and our democracy. Everybody knows there's a general election. The guy who did this knows there's an election campaign and this is his way of showing his contempt Um, The question now is, why is it that yet again, this person, I'm not going to mention his name because he doesn't deserve to be remembered, but why is it that this person was known to our security services, was a known suspect, but was clearly not considered a priority target and so was able to get away with it? This keeps happening. It happened in the UK. It happened in France. It's happened here in the US. Um, It's going to happen elsewhere. There is something very seriously wrong with the way we deal with these terrorists, that we have these very large lists of suspects, but we don't seem to be able to identify the right ones to go after. Well, I mean, the scary thought is maybe that list is almost too daunting, too long. But you make an interesting point because I think police are trying to distinguish between the, the keyboard jihadists, people who just rant and rave on social media or follow these accounts, and people who might be genuine threats. That's absolutely right. And, and in the UK in recent years, one of the reasons why we haven't had that many terrorist attacks, uh, the, there was a terrorist attack attempt at Glasgow Airport, you'll recall, in 2007, 
and then we had the two knife attacks in London this year in Westminster, one which caused five fatalities and one in which the man was arrested as he got towards the target. One of the reasons why we haven't had many attacks is because the police and the courts have been very, very busy with people who are considered to be relatively low level, exactly the kind of people who rant and rave on message boards and online. And I mean, there was one woman, for example, who went to prison for writing a pro-jihad poem and the newspapers called her the lyrical jihadist. And the question is, are these people worth going after? You're absolutely right. We have, look at the guys in France, for example, who did the Charlie Hebdo uh, murders. The two brothers, one of them had been to prison for trying to go to Iraq. He was such a loser, he couldn't even make it to Iraq, which is pretty sad. And they put him in prison. He came out. He was under surveillance. He didn't do anything, so the French decided that he wasn't a threat. Well, then he turned up at Charlie Hebdo with a AK-47 and his brother and murdered people. So it's very hard to do that. You're absolutely right. The second thing is, you're right, the list is quite long, and we have all these people who have come back from Syria or Libya. Uh, and the other problem is this. Uh, it's actually keeping people under 24-hour surveillance uh, contrary to what you may see in soap operas and, and Hollywood, is actually incredibly labor-intensive. It takes an enormous number of people. And the other problem is, for example, those people, when they're listening to conversations, they're just listening for immediate threats. Mm-hmm. They're not gathering intelligence. So you may have 30 or 40 people dedicated to one person. When you have a target list, possibly of hundreds or thousands, that's really hard to staff that. And, of course, the other problem is this. The intelligence business is about human capabilities. There's a lot of stress now on electronic and digital and signals and all this kind of stuff. But you need humans to interpret this stuff and to work on it. And training good intelligence officers takes time. So there is, there is a resource issue here, but there is a priority issue. But I think there's also just an understanding issue. I think we're getting something wrong, and I really think we need a proper re-examination there needs to be a proper examination and one of the things we have to do is we have to do that in collaboration canadians with the uk the us etc and the french and the germans and all the others because the more we collaborate the more difficult it is for the other side indeed um what do you make of the possibility of of a further backlash i mean this was an individual who was born in the uk although we understand his his parents were refugees to the united kingdom there is going to be i I think a backlash regarding immigration refugees we've been seeing a lot of that recently i mean how do we separate these these issues because there are there can be certainly legitimate security concerns when we're talking about these matters absolutely well here's the thing so The interesting thing in the UK, of course, last year with Brexit, we had a backlash against immigrants from Eastern Europe. The backlash was against plumbers from Poland and plasterers from Latvia. Um, This is a chap who was born in the UK. So the question really is this. Why is it that this chap who was born in the UK, like I was, and both his parents were immigrants, so one of mine was an immigrant, one was the the child of immigrants, he had all the chances I had. Um, Actually, he had more because he was born a lot, 30 years after me. Why is it that I integrated, I'm fully integrated, um, and the people I grew up with from all different communities, Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, Hindu, etc., all integrated, and this guy didn't? Why is it the parents integrate, but the children and the grandchildren of immigrants don't integrate, they de-integrate, they, they leave our societies, they, they turn around and tell us that they're somehow spiritually and politically homeless, and they seek purpose in their lives through a form of fascism, which is what jihadism is. 
And I think that's the real question. You're absolutely right. Some people will try and exploit this politically. I actually don't think it's going to have much of an effect in the UK because the UK political dynamics is actually being driven by the fact that the opposition party, of which I am a sad and sorry member, has collapsed. Um, so I don't think there's going to be much of a backlash. And, and look at France. I mean, there was a terrorist attack on the Champs-Élysées just before the election, very much designed to help Marine Le Pen, and it didn't. So I think we, we may have crested that wave, but we really do need to ask the question, what is, again, what's going wrong with a section of the youth who are of immigrant descent? They're not even immigrants. They're born in the UK. I mean, this guy is, was, was at home in the UK, more at home in the UK than anywhere else. What's going wrong? And why are they so easy to target and recruit? We haven't answered that question. No, we haven't. And I mean, it's it's an issue here. We've got problems with radicalization in Canada. It's a problem in the United States. It's not unique to Britain, but is it more acute in Britain? Yes, I think it is more acute in Britain and in some other quite liberal countries. So if you look at the Middle East, the country that's provided the most people for ISIS has been Tunisia, which is the most liberal, open, westernized society in North Africa. So it's a really interesting question as to why a very open society would produce so many people. And again, in the UK, we probably have six, seven hundred who went to Syria. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's issues with particular subsets of communities. There are subsections of, say, the Pakistani community in the UK. I mean, the vast majority of Pakistanis are not interested in this craziness. But there's a subsection of people who are from very rural communities. They grow up in the UK. They tend to be alienated from their parents and grandparents who they regard as ignorant and traditional and these people are attracted to fundamentalism which they believe provides them with all the answers uh, and that's one of the aspects of this mindset some of these people are just criminals looking for a thrill mm -hmm. and you know isis likes to uh, attract criminals and likes to recruit criminals for the very obvious reason that criminals know how to deal with the police they know how to keep away from the police i mean isis needs to keep away from the police so Attracting criminals is one of the things they do, and they go after them. They also go for people who have psychiatric problems. I mean, Hamas also does this as well, because they're more easily manipulated. Um, and they go for people who are basically looking for some kind of fame and narcissism. I mean, one of the things that this involves is the notion that you're making history, that you're going to be famous for a day, that you're going to be some kind of soldier. Well, actually, you're not. You're just a pathetic thug and a bully, because, as you know, Rob, we treat our children pretty well these days in our societies. You don't even raise your voice to a child these days. What kind of a man walked up to a group of young girls and young men and saw that eight-year-old girl and killed her? Because he killed her as much as if he'd pulled out a gun. That's oh, yeah. what he did. What kind of a person does that? It's a fascist and a bully and a sick, twisted individual. And what we also have to do... And I think this is a point, you know, we've, we've discussed before, is we need to go after the people who glorify these people. We need to go after the people who justify this kind of thing. I mean, some of right. it is just political argument, but the people who do it to recruit, we absolutely have to target them legally. Well, we're doing that. Uh, fellow we've talked about before, this Anjem Chowdhury, a radical preacher uh, for years, uh, basically had free reign to spread his, his wealth. Uh, the UK finally went after him. I believe he got five years in prison. Finally. Right. But how long, how long did Finally, it take? It took, right? took, took forever. Mm -hmm. took forever. And in the meantime, he was involved in sending hundreds of people off to fight. 
So it took absolutely forever because, look, we're democracies. We don't just throw people in prison or chuck them out of planes as they do in dictatorships. Um, but at the same time, we do need to take more measures. And there's a resource issue. But I also think, as I said, I think within the intelligence community, there needs to be a very serious rethink because ISIS are doing something right and we're doing something wrong. And we need to accept that and we need to ask, why is it our suspect lists are so wrong? In terms of the election, which, as you mentioned, on June 8th, perhaps it is a foregone conclusion even even before this tragedy. But I, I think it maybe changes the mindset of voters, certainly brings this issue back to the forefront. How much of an impact do you see it having on, on the campaign or the election itself? Well, I think actually, in a, in a way, this issue was already discounted because one of the things that's been raised about Jeremy Corbyn and, and legitimately is that in the past he's been pretty soft on terrorism. He's been a friend of the IRA. Mm-hmm. When, when the Americans killed the so-called Jihadi John, again, I won't mention his real name because he doesn't deserve to be remembered by his real name. When the Americans killed Jihadi John, Corbyn said, well, he should have been arrested and put on trial. So the joke was, well, maybe next time, Jeremy, you'll go to Syria and do a citizen's arrest on your own. Right. I mean, Corbyn is, is a pathetic um, and crawling apologist for terrorists. He's been an apologist for the RA. He's been an apologist for Hamas. He should have been expelled from the Labour Party years ago. Uh, as a fellow member of the Labour Party, I'm disgusted that he wasn't. Um, the party went a bit crazy and elected him. I think people already in the UK, it was an issue before this attack that he had been such a craven apologist for the IRA. So I think people have already discounted him. I mean, what's really happening actually in terms of the electoral dynamics is just before this attack, um, the Conservatives have become very arrogant because they know they're going to win the election, um, were caught out on some of their social welfare um, plans and um, were forced to backtrack. So the election, I think, now is going to be more about how do we keep the Conservatives accountable than any chance Labour has of, of winning. I mean, it's not a snowflake in hell's chance of winning, believe me. So I, I think the fundamental dynamics don't really change. I think the other thing it does, though, is it, it does make people feel much more united as a country, and that, that actually goes against the nationalists who are in trouble in Scotland and Wales at the moment. It, it, that, that feeling of, well, why are we trying to pull this country apart when we're under attack for being British, um, I think will actually go against the nationalists. Yeah, excellent point. Andrew, we'll leave it there. Appreciate the insight, as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank yeah. you very much. Lovely right. to speak to you. Take, Take care. care. Uh, Andrew Apostolou, a British commentary, a commentator, analyst, uh, his thoughts on what's transpired and the impact it's going to have. 403-974-8255 is a telephone number, text number as well. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.